you set a course for your life? Do you do that every day? Knowing what you want is intention. Knowing how to get there is a study in conscious action. This is a show about living consciously. It is about our choices, our hopes, our dreams, our work, our loves, our vision, and the practice of healing and becoming. Welcome to Cruising in the Light and Shadow. Hello, I am Sheila Kicha Marie. And my name is Inanna Moon. <sighs> so, All right. So we <laughs> I'm diving right in because go for it. we're going to be talking today about addiction um, and um, what it is, um, how it is affecting people, um, families also. The world. And how... Um, how it perpetuates itself. Um, I realize we'll probably only be bringing up a small part of that because there are now a lot of theories out there about what addiction is and where it comes from, but it is a personal issue is what I would have to say. And however you under come to understand it to affect you, um, is the most important thing. And I suspect that's why a lot of people feel very alone and why they say they're... When we are working on ourselves, we tend to think I'm the only one feeling what I'm feeling. Well, yes, because it is about you and your pain. And your body. And, yeah, yeah, and your your life and your choices and your hopes and your fears and all of that. But it's actually can be identified, people from all over the world can identify with exactly what you're going through. And there's so much out there um, that I never want people to feel like they're alone. I think sometimes it's a feeling of, well, I own this also. There's a little underlying ego of nobody has walked my walk. And yet, if you're taking someone's hand who can help you, you find out they've been on that same path. And, um, and it's the best thing in the world to have people with you if you're going through addiction and healing from addiction. And I think, like, uh, I go automatically to, like, AA in my mind or um, any of these great 12-step programs who, um, when you get a sponsor... They literally have walked your walk. Yes. They literally know yeah. when you're going to hit a pitfall, when you're going to maybe regress a little. Mm-hmm. So, you're, yeah, you're not alone. And, and there are so many amazing support groups out there. And I think I'm thinking a lot about the people who haven't yet gotten to the point no. of looking for anyone to help them that they um, are suffering alone. So I'm thinking about the people... Um, two who haven't even begun their journey of recovery, who are highly addicted. Um, um, something that's important to bring up because it's it's coming up. At least 115 people per day are um, dying from overdoses um, due to opioid addiction. Yeah, and. There are a lot of people out there at this time. I get a sense 
that don't know that there is help out there or don't know completely what addiction is. They know they're miserable, mm-hmm. but they don't know what can come next, what's available, what resources they have within themselves, as well as resources outside to help them develop the kind of life they would want to live without drug addiction or any other addiction. And there's so many addictions right now. I mean, there's a, it's actually a fact now that um, people are addicted to screen times, to to telephones, to technology. There's actually rehab for that. Anything to stay outside of yourself and your own world, your own inner world (laughs) with yourself is why you get addicted to drugs and alcohol and social media and eating and sex and okay well maybe I'll go no I'm <laughs> no, I, no I, you know there are questions debates about is sex a really an addiction <laughs> but um, anything anything like, you yes. do that keeps you from living a wide and ver- varied um, life and you you don't have choice you feel like you don't have choice you must do the thing um, that's there's a suffering in that. There's a, it's interesting because I've, um, to people I've talked to recently and slight addiction and even addiction for, um, there are degrees. Yeah. I mean, and it's not necessarily drug addiction. Let's say Mm -hmm. it's drama. They're addicted to drama. They're addicted to, um, let's make crisis crisis. Yes. Yes. Let's like, like, um, here's, you know, they ask for advice and then it's like, okay, yeah, don't go right because you're going to walk right into that lion. Go left. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? They're like, let me, let me see what happens. Maybe I won't walk into the line if I make a right. <laughs> and boom. And then, yeah. and then one of the things I talk with, with these people is, uh, um, let's talk about your feelings. Let's see what's going on. No, 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 no. Don't want to. What feeling? Yeah, yeah I've, I've no. had I've had people, I've had clients say feelings. I don't, I wouldn't know what to say about what a feeling is. And yet, they often come in for love um, and things that aren't going well in their lives with other people. Um, but, but using the word em- emotion or feeling, um, there's a disconnect there. They, I can literally see them jump back out of their body. No, yeah. I don't want to delve in there. So we'll talk about that. Yes. yes, but yeah. what I wanted to um, ask and let our view, our viewers, our viewers, our listeners know um, how, because you know a lot on this topic, and so if you wanted to give us some background, yes, um, I preface it by saying I am not a professional therapist or a doctor. I am a professional spiritual teacher, and the reason that that. Um, came about in my life had, and you know, I wouldn't have called it, I was certainly wouldn't have called it um, addiction for myself, but it was about dealing with my father, um, who I brought up a couple of episodes ago. Um, I grew up in a house with major addiction in it. I would say uh, dad had been Dad, mom and dad were older parents. They were in their early 30s when they had me. And um, dad had been um, addicted to alcohol um, for um, probably for about 
20 years. And, um, wow. And, yeah. And he went through the service. Um, he, was um, he already, he was already addicted before he went into he the went, service? Yes. He was okay. actually, he was 17 years old. He okay. said when he knew there was a problem, he was a musician at that time, a drummer uh, in a jazz musician. band. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> but also he was, it, it wasn't, it hadn't, it was later on after him, an incredibly successful band, but, mm. um, but in his young years when the band was starting, everybody was drinking. Um, he, so he was in that era, and we're talking about the um, 40s, the 30s and 40s. And so he, um, he had a dishonorable discharge. I, he's, he has passed on now. Later on, when they deemed... Um, alcoholism a disease he received an honorable discharge Aww. and he was very proud of that because yeah. also he had not had a drink in 45 years oh my that gosh point um so anyway his story his story which became part of mine well, because yeah. when one person is addicted in your family the whole family is affected by it and has changed their behaviors due to it yes so that i learned after i grew up and um and um, dad quit drinking when I was about four years old, um, when he realized a couple of things. One, he was probably going to die because his liver was now giving out like crazy. And he'd yeah. been in the hospital a couple of times, drying out and dealing with all of that. Um, my mother was not raised in a family where there was addiction. She had no idea what she was dealing with. She thought she could help him. That goes on today. The spouses or loved ones That's of me. people yeah. will go, well, I can do, I can heal this. Um, it's in the face of loving someone and them loving you. When they are addicted, they're looking to you in many ways. You're their life preserver. But, but changing them, no, there's no way to change someone who doesn't want to change. I was literally, I was in a, one of my big relationships, um, my partner came to me and said, I'm addicted to prescription drugs. Mm. And since I had not, my therapist helped me through this because I was like, how did I not like understand the depths of this, that this person needed help, that I needed yes. to be there? And, and my therapist had said, did you grow up with addiction in your, when you were growing up? And, no, I didn't. So I just, I didn't understand. They told me, "Okay, I'm I'm done doing this this prescription drugs." So I thought, "Oh, okay, mm -hmm. we're good. We're yeah, okay. We got on over way. <laughs> but they picked up other addictions along the way. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That would be true too. Well, Dad went in. So at when I he had been going back and forth to AA Alcoholics Anonymous for a few years, and he um, it, there were relapses, and um. Then, then after, I will say this, after he got into AA and he was really working on not drinking and finding other reasons to have a life other than <laughs> alcohol, 
he did become addicted in other ways. He kind of became a workaholic, oh. um, which a lot of people would say, yeah. well, job well done. Good. Well. So you're, <laughs> you love working now. Woohoo. But then he wasn't around and so forth. But he needed, you know, he, he, that one was okay. But then later mm. on in his life, um, gambling became a big oh. deal. So there are second, third, fourth addictions that if you're if you're not working on the core reasons you are addicted and your emotional life and your spiritual life and your service, you can eventually take yourself um, right into another addiction. Well, what do you? It's th- hardcore. What do you think if and and this is a, touchy. I don't know. What if you become addicted to meditation, which would be a great addiction, or to yoga, or to I've health? Had, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been around people who said, oh, my God, I can't seem to stay out of the yoga studio. I can't seem to quit meditating, mm-hmm. or all I want to do when I've d- I'm done meditating is go back. Um, a lot of people would say, honestly, if that becomes your thing, you know, if healthy eating becomes your <laughs> thing, and you can't stop thinking about that, um, those are fine. We we are habitual people. We are ritualistic beings. Um, we have our daily routines that we usually don't veer from. You know, do you do you have your coffee before you brush your teeth? Yes. Do you <laughs> do you get in the shower before you brush your teeth, or brush your teeth after the shower? Um, you brush know, teeth, how do you <laughs> do you have if you're putting makeup on? Do you have to start with one eye, then the other, or one oh. side of your face, and then the other, and it can't be changed around? Um, do you? I mean, goodness, we we have healthy habits. Yeah. So there's a difference between addictions and healthy habits that you feel really great about. But um, um, the thing I would want to say is destruct when it's destructive, if it's destroying your body, if it's destroying your time with other people, and um, destroying a very, again, a varied life, um, because you don't have free will because of the thing you're addicted to, then you're in pain. You're really mm. dealing with pain. But more meditation and more healthy things, no, that usually that usually causes you to be more creative, actually. So that's not, so a, meditate, not much meditate. a problem. Meditate. <laughs> enjoy it. Yes. Whatever you're doing, really enjoy it. Um, it's funny. And yet I can hear. Also, I went to my father started taking me to AA when I was four years old, because what was happening to him, he didn't want to have happen to me. Ah. Um, I probably have a raspy voice now today because of being in rooms with a lot of smoking. But ah. he didn't know, you know, <laughs> they didn't know back then. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's that I grew up with that. I grew up with AA and the 12 steps. That was that was part of the spiritual life of our home. Um, I've taken a lot of classes on, um, not all, of course, not only on meditation and yoga, but also lots of workshops on how we heal. Um, I went through a great deal of depression after I moved out of my home because I grew up taking care of my father. Mm. My mother and I did. We both took care of my father, but my mom was an adult when she came to deal with addiction um, from dad. Um, I was not. So that part of my life was really consumed um, by taking care of this adult 
that was in many ways like a child, when I moved out on my own, I didn't have parts of myself is what I discovered. And I didn't know what the depression was from. Mm. And um, I, to me, I luckily um, came into a world where they were talking about the, the inner child and um, working on your core being and again, because of meditation, and one of the things meditation helps you with is becoming a more creative, insightful being within yourself, um, and then also in dealing with the world. Um, and then together with all the different workshops, I went to John Bradshaw's workshops, who did a lot of the inner child work, and I um, studied um, the work of Melody Beatty, which is uh, her book I would suggest to anyone who's related to or family of someone who's an alcoholic. Her book is Codependent No More. Oh, I've read that book. Right. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what I was suffering with. There was actually some post-traumatic stress from my father's anger issues mm-hmm. and everything he dealt with as well as post traumatic I mean other than post traumatic stress was being codependent and then separating and all the years that it actually takes to do that we have to be incredibly patient with ourselves if you are if you're an ad- all the way from being an addict to being in the family of an addict you have to take the time to heal and all the people that say we don't have time, I don't have time for this. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you have to make time. What else, else is gonna, there? You're going to get sucked in. What else is there yeah. but the time to evolve and grow and nurture yourself and practice? And yes, you can fit in raising a family who you want to learn. You want to teach them how. You want to teach your kids how, Responsible. how to not be in that position Either an either an addict or codependent. There's just so. This is this this this, this is called spirituality to me too. Yes, that I loved how you said um, the spirituality of my house. Yes, yeah, was this very much so? Well, and my mother, um, my mother's father was a Methodist minister, so I was raised quite. Christian, uh, yes, um, but part of part of the spirituality of the house was um, the twelve steps, and, and it is. If I, you know, may I? Please, do you have I the... read? Yeah, I um. You read. I'm not going to read all of the twelve steps, um, but um, they're quite beautiful. They're. So I'm going to be talking a lot today. <laughs> I apologize, Sheila no Marie. Apologies. Um, two things. I want to give a definition of addiction, and then just I'll read just a few of the twelve steps. Okay. Um, addiction is defined as a disease of obsessive thinking and compulsive physical and emotional need for drugs, alcohol, food, sex, or anything destructive, despite the resulting negative consequences. And despite the withdrawal symptoms, that's how addicted people are, um, that it causes more. You're doing it because of pain, and if it causes more pain, you're now stuck in this cycle. cycle. Keep going. Um, In addition to a building tolerance, an addict or alcoholic will experience intense physical cravings for the drug and an emotional obsession um, for taking alcohol or drugs, regardless of the consequences. 
Uh, addiction develops over time and usually begins with a misuse, moving toward an abuse, and then resulting in a full-blown addiction. Um, now, while I know that there are other ways to handle or work through your addiction, the 12 steps probably is the greatest one um, or the the most used still to this day. If you go to AA or Narcotics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, you're, you'll still be dealing with the uh, 12 De- steps. Probably with Debtors Anonymous as Debtor, well. Yes, absolutely. Under, gambling. Yeah. Gambling yeah. Anonymous. Um, it's several a good basis. Of them. And then just um, in life, I think it's a good basis. And if you're a child of an addict or a child of abuse, they'll also put forth the 12 steps because, again, it's deeply spiritual. And um, the very first step is we admitted we were powerless over, and in this case, alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. If you don't have the admission of a problem, whatever, it, if it's opioids, anything, if you don't have the admission of a power, of a, of a problem, um, You're you not can't ready. go forward. Yeah. yeah. And so it is considered 12 steps, one at a time. That's a huge... Second is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That one's weird for people. And also, let me do two and three together. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Well, it can be. They (laughs) they actually do say it doesn't have to be, you know. um, He or she. He or she. Um, it doesn't have to be a religion. It can be your spirituality. The, you can put you can put the world in yeah. a place of being your higher power. It's your it's the vision that you're willing to surrender yourself to that will answer back to the, you. The greater good. The greater good. The higher self. Some people do use the higher self for their higher power. Ooh, I like um, that. Because the high, there's there comes a point where you acknowledge when pe- it's interesting when people go into recovery they realize they know these things yeah it like they clicks right it's like click, couldn't click, hear click. them before yeah. well they were self medicating yes they were and so numbing much pain. out yeah. yeah because yeah. I do believe I I believe that a lot of addiction people who are addicts are are super sensitive they're, they they understand they are very conscious and it can be freaking scary if somebody doesn't understand it so let's self-medicate let's self-medicate like mm-hmm. the greats like john coltrane miles davis um you know they charlie charlie for dad charlie, charlie parker, parker. Yeah. yeah they were yeah I, the x was a jazz so mm-hmm. <laughs> i've learned my jazz um so uh can you imagine all that music all that inspiration just going there and it's like could be so overwhelming it's like whoa 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 hold on and that's why if you you know they probably self-medicated just a little bit too much. Um, and also, when you are engaging your emotions and your creativity, um, well, all of your emotions come up for you. So all your pain, um, the things you went through, um, you know, as some, you know, for a lot of people, especially starting out, processing it, you're you're not aware of how much was affecting you. We're talking about very sensitive souls, too. Yeah. Very, very often. You know, when, when I was really studying um, 
in, intuition and becoming intuitive, you, you there's a there's an awareness, especially with empathic people, that it feels painful to feel yes. so much. And certainly musicians and artists and craftspeople and actors and so forth feel so much that if you are a raw nerve and you haven't figured out how to balance your emotions or um, or deal with them in some way, one of the ways you want to deal with them when you're done for the day being creative is numb out. And that's where people get into major trouble. Self-medication. Yeah. There's a... Yeah. Um, a shout out to uh, Noel Orput, my uh, my producing partner. He he made a movie called Harmony. Hmm. Did I tell you about that one? I don't remember that. It's one. it was it's, it's it's amazing. It's um this this guy has figured out a way to um, match your 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 perfect mate through mm. music. Oh, he hears your music when he meets you, and then he will write it out record it and then somebody else will come it's a dating service and they will have music and then scientifically he will match it and that is mm. your perfect mate All right. now the thing is he is constantly hearing music so he sees people and he hears the music in his head now can you imagine how that is like going out into the world out into the public all that music running through your head mm-hmm. So that's what it's a short film and that's what it's about. And it's like, oh, it's one of my favorite. I love that movie. And you can feel it like mm-hmm. think. And that's how I related mm-hmm. addiction. Can you imagine feeling all of that? That's just overwhelming. That's well, too much. Also, so you're also talking about him. Um, it's not just the music, but it's him intuitively um, tapping into the people that are part of it. Exactly. And so and so he's intuitively picking up on their feelings as well as that's what the music is for him in that regard. Um, I would say is it's the feelings. And so dealing with other people's. Yeah, yeah there's an there's there can be an issue among um, intuitives. Yeah, in, I'm sure in there finding, is. In various addictions. Yeah. Um, because you don't just you usually don't just turn it off at the end of the day (laughs) um and a lot of people would say well no that's not something you can turn off you just walk around with other people's you hear you hear their what they're talking about and what they're dealing with all the time and And then also you're getting messages from spirit which are which are protecting you which are those are beautiful things um but but it, it can be constant and you can be waking up in the middle of the night and so forth dealing with all of that. But it's not, I, I don't find it painful. I've, got, I've spent a whole long time, I would say, of these 35 years of working, um, he, healing myself and working, healing not myself on my own. I also had help, but um, working with people and teaching meditation and reading for people and reading for spirit and so forth. Um, I spent a long time learning how to protect. And I, I sometimes feel even when I've told people, well, you don't, if you're, if you, if people walk in who are empathic and they, um, and, they may not be working as an empath, but they're just very raw, mm-hmm. empathic, open, aware. 
um, you can protect yourself. A lot of people don't get that. It does have to be learned. If you're used to leaving yourself totally open, again, habits. It's about habits. If you're just about leaving yourself totally open, and some people feel they want to, and some people enjoy being in that place, but it's a problem for them, you probably should learn how to direct your thoughts, refocus, bring your energy in, um, clear it, um, um, just be have a one-line connection, you and your higher self, or you, your higher self, and spirit, and um, let yourself have a rest. You have to constantly find ways to withdraw and rest, but then not withdraw from the world. That's that's rocking that balance. It's to, it's yes, it's all about balance. To not be addicted is all about balance. I have a um, a friend who's empath empathic, and mm-hmm. um, we didn't realize that for a while, mm-hmm. and so she would be who's exhausted. raised. Tell me who yeah. is raised with knowing what to do if you're empathic. Right. What's where there are societies on Earth that have that, but. The Western one basically does not. Especially with growing up in a very religious background. Right, where that's not, you're not supposed to deal with that. So the people that don't deal with it have no problem or don't think they have no problem. The people who do deal with being empathic or having a constant sense of emotional awareness of the world around them have that problem and need and, and have needed more have needed a sensitivity. Yeah. And, and but I was thinking, you know, I mean, she's awesome, so she, you know, we're she's figured it out. Mm-hmm. But great. Growing up, yeah. Other people growing up with this empathicness that that's self-medication. Let's go to let me drink some, let me drink a whole bottle of Jack and that'll take uh, these feelings away that yeah, I just don't numb, understand. Well, it will. Yeah. <laughs> it will. It'll numb it out. Oh, that's yeah. why the opioid addiction mm-hmm. um, it numbs the pain. Um, if if you're having emotional pain, it does go into the physical. And yes. yes, of course, you can say, well, someone's had an operation or the knee went out or um, something's broken. And so you need something to deal with the pain. Um, honestly, I would rather meditate. A little ad, <laughs> a little, I'll put it this way, a little Advil and meditation and then get rid of the Advil, um, my back pain goes away it balances out other pain goes away i've had doctors say to me i bet you're not going to have as much of a problem with pain because of what you do and so they don't give me they they immediately say nope no opioids for you (laughs) that's it um because that's a challenge to me (laughs) as a matter of fact it's like i I bet my mind can take care of this because i believe that everything starts in the mind yes your body's out there it's dealing with getting hurt and so forth but then you and your body and your mind are one and that whole um that that i'm doing now reading more Eckhart Tolle oh Eckhart Tolle yes one of the ones on my list of who you might want to look at if you're dealing with addiction and pain oh yeah so sorry and Nana um mentioned uh the new earth which i had i was already reading the power of now which um wow that's hard and the power Which one? of oh, the now. power of now is I hard. Mean, okay. I mean, yeah. just in general, like y- you to know, to live me. in the now, to live to in live the in now. now. You know yeah. me, like you know, I'm 
you know, off to the next. Yeah, thing, yeah, I like to think of the future. Like, ooh, let me let me make a fairy tale of like me and Keanu Reeves. Me or, too. <laughs> me too. Actually, and fantasy is important. You need actually your fantasy is what helps you is one of the things that can help you be in touch with your emotions. I wouldn't say live in a world of fantasy because then you're not going out your door and you're not dealing yeah. with reality. But um, you'd, yeah, you're not living now. You can think <laughs> of it. You can think of it as, as a break, living in the now, just getting in touch and just going. I am here, right now. I'm talking with Sheila Marie. Paul is over there. <laughs> and I know he's listening too. And um, and I'm enjoying this present moment. Did you have a question about? The power of now, or a thought that oh, was um, about how you're work, how you're working <laughs> with the power of now. How are you working? With I the am. Power of I now? am working with the power of now. Yeah. Then when I do the um, going back to my old story, like oh, that was a painful moment. Wait, no, that was that was back then. That's not now. Let me bring that here. Beautiful. Yeah, because if I do go back into my old story, into the past movie. Then I'm going to get depressed. I'm going to, um, you know, some people, may, you know, might want to go, uh, let me have a double double hit of Jack or whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah. A that, double hit of something. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I'm just, I'm really, <laughs> I have to keep catching myself. And I've been saying to myself, um, which is interesting because we've said this in, in, uh, in practice, like, be here now. So I'm yeah. trying to be here now. It's and I think to live in the now is to check in with yourself. That's how you get going in living your life consciously is to check in. Where am I? Where am I? When you're working on something or working with people and you get a moment to yourself to ask yourself, wait, where was I during all of that? Where am I right now? Um, how many of us are driving almost unconsciously <laughs> out there? I, I certainly am. Mm -hmm. While I'm thinking about other things, I look around and go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it would probably be a lot better in this traffic <laughs> if I were really in the present moment. Um, you will get you will get farther faster <laughs> if you're really in the present moment. And then there's a scary when you're like, how did I get home? I oh, absolutely. What? Yeah. Okay, so um, so much to talk about. So number, okay, so that was two and three. That was two and three. Um, it's interesting. Well, it's it's almost mystic. Number six, we entire um, we entirely we are. Um, I'm sorry. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Hmm. Um. A lot of people don't like that one, and I would say that's a, probably a very good reason for also going to therapy or for um, working with a behavioral therapist and so forth. Um, some people would say, do I really want to see myself as defective? Well, in some regards, who's perfect? yes, you can, in being, in being, yeah, who's perfect, exactly, um, why not admit to yourself that there's a major problem? That's really what it what it means, and that you don't know how to work through the problem. So what's defective is not having um, a method or a way of healing and finding out 
how to heal, how to inspire yourself, how to grow the self that you need to become in order to not be an addicted person. Because you want to quit seeing yourself as addicted at some point. Mm. So that's defective. And that's I'm, I'm an addicted person. I'm always addicted. That's how people get into being addicted to crisis. See, I'm, my problem is this. I'm always like this. Mm-hmm. Then you Don't. have to go, well, how do I not be like this? Mm-hmm. And when I was dealing with the depression I was talking about, um, and I was going to a therapist and also doing meditation, um, it was about balancing out and finding um, great ways to um, love myself more. You really have to change the way you talk about yourself. And you have to not let other people talk about you in a bad way. And if you've been an addict, you've often become the scapegoat in a family, and they put everything on you um, because you are letting people down and you are in a bad place. And it's like, well, I would come and do this and such, but I have to take care of this person. And so when you're what ha- so what happens to the person that used you for an excuse all the time? <laughs> if you quit drinking and if you quit being um, the scapegoat and the problem in the family, and then you quit. And then you work, mm-hmm. and then you have a love life, and then you move out, and then mm-hmm. you um, are dealing with your own stuff. The people that relied on your addiction now have to change, and there will be sabotage quite often. They will be happy for you because we're not all black and white. They'll be very happy that you changed, but now you're, you're no longer the scapegoat, so there will be sabotage too. That can happen. Crazy. And so you have to create, you have to establish your own being and your own life and standing up for yourself in a very different way. And I think that's a powerful thing to understand that the reason we can um, fall back or relapse into addiction is because you're still in the process of building yourself and to be kind to yourself. And not beat the hell out of yourself yeah. if you are in the process of changing. If you're not and you're staying in the addiction, that's a whole different work. But if you are trying to build and create a new way of thinking about yourself and a new way of becoming, that's really the work to keep you away from relapse. So other than if you're in an addiction, that was a perfect, I, I'm just like, aha moment if you're in an addiction in an addiction you're not changing but right. otherwise you're constantly you're constantly changing, changing. and, you and you're will. constantly coming face to face with all those emotions so everything any way you were arrested in your development when you quit um using whatever it may be um you now have to go back and go oh yeah Here's all the feelings. Here's the stuff I dealt with. Here's the pain from childhood. Here's the pain from um, abuse that happened. Um, here's the pain from the betrayals that, that may have happened in your life. You're, you're back to where you feel like you're suffering again. But if you're really in recovery, you are not because you're getting help. And you've got and people support. who went there before you. Yes. Yeah, help, help support. Um, advice, nurturing, um, lists, many lists of, of 
what to think about other than your addiction that you're keeping for yourself and you're learning to think differently, transfer to a healthy person, a balanced person. You're learning what it is to be balanced. And, and I mean, we're always learning. So yes, it's not yes, just an addiction. Are. People are always learning to be balanced. So there were a few things. Let's see. There are just a couple of things to look at um, that I wanted to mention when we are in recovery and we're healing. And again, it's um, all the way from addiction to childhood trauma as well um, and being codependent, but you have to avoid high-risk situations, um, careful about being around others who are addicted or others who are holding on to seeing you in that light. We do have to learn to, it may not be meditation, but you do have to learn to relax and cope well with stress, not using your drug of choice. Um, You have to be truly honest with yourself or ruthlessly honest with yourself. Um, That's divinity. If, if If you keep a promise to your being, it's deep and it's real and it can keep you from using again. But if you keep breaking promises with yourself, it actually gets a little harder every time mm. to come back and be honest with yourself. Because our minds are something. Our minds are tricky, fast, get bored easily. We've got to find all kinds of ways to do what you need to do for yourself, including being honest with yourself. We can find a rationale in a moment not to do something healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, We do have to take it one day at a time. If you think, if you stop, if you stop um, an addiction and go, oh, my God, is this going to go on forever? No, you have to do this one day at a time. Sometimes one hour at a time will do it as well. And um, among things, I think some of the work that will be going on for people is what is love? When you, once, you're right, once you, if you are addicted and practicing it, there is no transformation or healing or anything going on except the addiction but when you come out of the addiction and you're working on it, you're asking, how do I love myself? How do, you know, that's why a sponsor is helpful. They love you when you can't. They remind you to love yourself. The loved ones in your family who are your champions, who are really there for you, who may say, well, I'm going to have to change my ways, but I want you to change the pain you're going through, so how can I help? They will remind you of what it is to love. Um, The trickiness of how we can hate ourselves when we say we're trying to love ourselves, but we're really tearing ourselves down, Mm. that causes you to relapse. So there's a necessity of understanding love and hate. Um, And again, knowing that, that your family, to a certain extent, is really involved in it. Um, They're in the loop of it and you'll have to identify and that in some ways that can be you know it's hard to say it this way but it can be some of the enjoyment 
of working on this is discovering who of your friends and family really are there for you it, it's and a are willing to call. face themselves oh, too. Yeah. It's um, it's enlightening. It is enlightening. enlightening. Yeah, mm-hmm. changes changes. Uh, I say it changes in life. Uh, events in your life definitely prove to you who your friends are. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're doing this. Find the twelve-step programs. They don't cost. They cost so very little, a dollar, five dollars, whatever, um, to go. And there are meetings all over the place, and all different kinds too. So mm-hmm. many more than we're mentioning. You can look up the anonymous meetings. Um, get your counseling, um, behavioral therapy if you're changing habits and patterns. And you can do that. You can get that for free. Yes. The, the, ah. Right now, the the state. Yeah, sorry, that's my shoe. Is that this state? Is that California? <laughs> California at the moment, yeah. I mean, if and you're low states, income, yeah. yeah, you can you can find some good places. People just want to help. People, I mean, really, we need to just get everybody mentally healthy yeah, and, and addiction free, yeah. and yeah, we're working. Everybody's working. And then there's inner child. Then there's all the work that you do for yourself. You can go to. You can get ministerial services, spiritual counseling, um, spiritual practice. It actually is suggested. I was looking online. Very much suggested to look at meditation of various kinds and yoga and body work to help get yourself healthier. You're less mm-hmm. likely to want to tear yourself down if you're. You can feel your health rising. One more time, um, I was saying inner child work, but that's it's also called core work or higher mm. self work um, and regaining the preciousness of your being. When people talk about having a deep hole inside that they fill with a drug or alcohol or whatever, a lot of that has to do with a, a lack of the soul, no, no, lack of knowledge of the soul self. We all have souls, but it's the lack of knowledge of the fact that we are precious beings. And if you can treat yourself preciously, you'll treat others preciously. And sometimes, like my father said, that was hard later on in life to see, but I get it now. I get it, Dad. Mm-hmm. That you, um, that, that there's a sense that in seeing me as precious, and that he wanted to do this for me was his way of discovering the way back to doing this for himself. And um, so you don't know how powerful you are in some people's lives. <clears throat> so I'm thinking um, we love doing cards. We love pulling cards and such. But, um, well, you know what the heck? Let's do it. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. I just suddenly, right. I was going to say, we'll wait. But okay. this is Austin's deck, um, Austin Wells. And um, and I reached for it, so I guess I'm doing it. Um, yes. And these are the ones that, um, they're pictures and colors. So <laughs> let's see. For this healing episode, what do we have? <laughs> um, blue. But it's not royal blue. It's another blue. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I would choose another choose another okay. card to go with it if you're All not right, quite let's see. sure. And why are and you choosing the card? What's the intention? Um, I was just going to say healing. Just healing. Like, All so right. We well, got a brick wall. All right. All right. <laughs> so once you hit your brick wall. <laughs> you know what? And it's a lighter blue that we're looking at. More of a medium 
blue than a royal blue. Yeah. Very fascinating. What do you think? So literally, once you hit your brick wall, you're going to run into it. You hit bottom. Yeah. Yeah. You turn around and then there's the the piece of the blue. (laughs) Jump in. Jump into the blue. And blue is always comfortable to me. It always Mm -hmm. feels comfortable, so... Blue is often used in in candle magic. Really? Um, it ma- well, all colors are used in candle well, magic. Yeah, yeah. So blue is often coming home. And I that's what it suddenly struck me. And it's a lighter blue, which is the beginning. So coming home to yourself when you've hit that brick wall or you've hit your bottom and there's nowhere else but up. Yeah, the sky. The sky. Yeah, the sky's the limit. There you go. Very good. I like that. Very cool. All right. So that was a quick one. But um, there's some beautiful things you have uh, for us. Oh, I was going to just talk um, just for a moment about the work that I do. um, Because when I was looking at addiction and everything, it it isn't all, of course, about helping addicts. There's so many resources out there. But so much of my work did start out to be about helping people be able to give voice to what they can't see themselves. It's something that just kept developing and developing um, over time of teaching people meditation, teaching, helping people who are healing, finding inspiration within. So a lot of my work does have to do with helping people know what they're capable of, what their value is, mm. and um, helping through, um, helping find the, the words and the expression for their love and their work and their life purpose. Um, and so I'm just um, wanting you to know that I'm available to do that work. Um, and you can find me at Inanamoon. And it's certainly for taking a variety of classes, but also one-on-one spiritual sessions as well. Totally. I mean, uh, obviously, that's how we met. And um, even though I do have a therapist now, as I keep saying over and over, um, for the time being that I didn't have one, um, whenever I would have a reading with you, I felt um, you just, you always knew what to say. So it it was very comforting and perfect and it was uh yeah and then that could have become an addiction like oh i need some advice let me call anana let me call her (laughs) she she can talk me through this (laughs) talk you down yeah Yeah, and you did you did a lot you you rationalized um you know again i say reading is confirmation for me Mm -hmm. it's confirmation it's not like oh this is what's gonna happen in the future it's like i knew what was gonna i knew where my path was gonna Mm -hmm. take me you confirmed it and then your words surrounded me. So it was like, that's perfect. Yes. Okay. What a lovely thing to say. Thank you very You're much. welcome. I think, this, and the thing I would express too is I believe we all have this inside. It, yes. It's something that developed for me early when I got into practice, into meditation practice was um, the, the hearing, hearing what we need what each person needs, whether it was mine or other people's. There's 
Um, that that thing that about spirit guides that's so important to me is the universe is speaking, and there's so much help from the universe as well. Um, just straight your straight line of connection, and um, I'm happy to help. Happy to be to be there. Go to nanamoon.com. <laughs> we will re- return to this topic because it's ongoing. Um, but you have something for us to uh, to take us. Yes, it's in John. While this poem is in John Bradshaw's book Homecoming, his reminder is that it was written by Christopher Morley, um, <clears throat> and it's about childhood. The greatest poem ever known is one all poets have outgrown. The poetry, innate, untold, of being only four years old, still young enough to be a part of nature's great impulsive heart, born comrade of bird, beast, and tree, and unselfconscious as the bee. And yet, with lovely reason skilled, each day new paradise to build, a late explorer of each sense, without dismay, without pretense. In your unstained, transparent eyes, there is no conscience, no surprise. Life's queer conundrums you accept, your strange divinity still kept. And life that sets all things in rhyme may make you poet, too, in time. But there were days, O tender elf, when you were poetry yourself. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) When you were poetry yourself. Uh, it's, it always gets to me. I, <laughs> I love, love that. that poem. Oh. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Didn't expect that reaction from you, but yay. <laughs> All right, everyone, uh, thank you. Thank you, Anana, for that. That was, um, the world needed that. And thank you, Sheila Marie. I really appreciate your insight. And thank you, Paul Preston, for being our engineer. And thank you, David Shostak and the Flute Sonics for Ooh, your music. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Allison Werner, yay. for your technical support as well. <laughs> and thank you for joining us in the in cruising the light and shadow. This is Anana Moon. I'm Sheila Kichamari, reminding you that love is everywhere. Our lives touch everyone and everything. Please go forth in love. And we feel so honored to have you. Namaste. Namaste.